0: The What a move. Brilliant goal. Oh. Wow! Oh, the Datsun. Incredible. It's a beauty. That's the move we've been waiting for. Stay the track. You're listening to Impact Sports Radio, and this is Octopi Hockey Town with your host, Austin Goodman. Hello and welcome to Octopi Hockey Town, guys. I'm your host, Austin Goodman. As always, guys, I am sorry to bring it to you, but the playoffs, they have come and gone. And unfortunately for the Detroit Red Wings, they have taken a very early first round exit in five games to the Boston Bruins. I know I predicted a seven game series in favor of the Red Wings, but guys, it did not work out like that. Game one fell in favor of the Red Wings with a beautiful, magical, simply put, amazing goal scored by veteran Pavel Datsuk with 3 minutes left in the third period and that gave the Red Wings a 1 to nothing lead over the Boston Bruins at TD Garden to lead off the series but guys game 2 3 4 and game 5 all fell in favor of the Bruins It was a lack of execution from the youthful Red Wings and a very much so increased level of brutality, goal scoring, and solid backing force in net from Tuka Rask and the Boston Bruins to finish off the Red Wings, who guys only had six goals throughout the entire series. We'll talk about those games one through five, the ups and downs, the twists and turns of the series, and then... We'll take a little detour, and we'll give our NHL fans out there, the guys that love the big perspective, the guys that are still watching the crazy games that are still going on in the NHL playoffs, they're a little bit of an update of what is going on around the league. After we talk about the NHL, though, we'll bring it right back to the Boston Red Wings series, but we'll move on from it, and we'll talk about what the Bruins have in store for them in the second round facing the Montreal Canadiens, and we'll wrap it all up for the regular postseason for the playoffs, for everything for Octobie Hockey Town for the next couple weeks, and we'll talk about the Red Wings' future as of right now, a mere two days after the loss, talking about the Red Wings' future, looking into the postseason, looking into this summer, talking about free agents, who will be on board, who's on the block, who's getting the ax, we'll talk about all that, guys. So the series that came and went all too fast, Although the Wings kept their magical 23-year playoff streak alive, they exited the first round in, you know, what I could say is an embarrassing fashion. Uh, Breaking down each game, guys, you can really see the faults, the miscues that the Red Wings had throughout the entire series. And it was really unfortunate to see um, a lot of guys really wanted the Red Wings to, to... to be able to move past the Boston Bruins, get a good upset there, but, um, you know, the team couldn't pull it together, Um, so, yeah, I I mean, I kind of just want to break down each game, because it's kind of interesting to see the numbers, to check it all out, but if you actually watch the series, of course, the Boston Bruins completely dominated the Detroit Red Wings throughout the entire series, and guys, you know, it was a hard series to watch for Red Wings fans and faithful, but guys, you know, it, it really, it it could have been worse honestly and and when you really think about it it, it could have been worse and it, it i mean the Red Wings could have been swept. And straight up, if Pavel Datsyuk didn't get that first Game 1 goal, they would have been swept. They wouldn't have beaten the Boston Bruins in overtime. Um, you know, it was a little hard for the Red Wings to even get their feet under them. Uh, even with the return of Henrik Zetterberg on home ice, they still couldn't get the victory. That game went into overtime. But I just want to start with Game 1 and break it all down for you. So, guys, Game 1 of the series... Uh, I was at TD Garden, and Detroit won the game one to nothing. As I said in the intro about, you know, from a beautiful goal off of a Pavel Datsuk snapshot, went through the legs of a defenseman, but more importantly, it was how he got the puck. And, and it was a pass behind him, way too far behind him, but in Pavel Datsuk-like fashion, with the skill set that he has with his hands, his stick, his legs, everything, he reaches behind him with the right hand on his stick, pulls it, up through his legs with one hand in full stride, full speed. lifts up his left leg to get the puck underneath it and pulls possession of the puck. Let's Justin Applicator cut in front of him into the zone. Just enough so he can get the puck over before Abby's there. Abby cuts it off. He then takes his puck, pulls it back, and rips it past Tukarask. A beautiful snapshot from Pavel Datsuk. Guys, honestly, the game was pretty balanced. It was 25 shots against Jimmy Howard, who got a shutout in the game, and then Tuukka Rask took 24 shots, of course, let up that one goal to Pavel Datsuk. Um, you know, for me, the biggest story in this game was everything, for the most part, was even. There weren't a lot of penalties that were being taken. You know, there was only two Boston, penalty, three, uh, two Boston penalties and three penalties for Detroit. Um, you know, the the... Everything in the game was pretty even. The face-offs was in favor of Detroit. Giveaways were in favor of Boston. So, you know, I guess in favor of Detroit. Takeaways, Boston had seven. Detroit had five. Block shots, Boston had 19. Detroit had 11. Penalty minutes, four for Boston, two for Detroit. You know, guys, it, it's it was a very even game. It was a very good hockey game. You know when you when you're watching a hockey game, you want to see a lot of that back and forth, a very even keeled, everybody putting their nose into the play, hard hits. You know there were a lot of hits in this game. You know Boston had 34 hits and Detroit had 26, and that was really the most lopsided part of this game, uh, was in the hitting column. But you know as I said, Detroit took the one nothing lead. It was a big thing because you know Boston doesn't lose at home very well this season and you know they they the red wings made a statement by coming out and taking that first game a veteran stepped up and got the goal in Pavel Datsuk you know and it, it gave the red wings a very good mindset going into game 2 but guys i have absolutely no idea what happened to that mindset when game 2 started you know the the first goal that was scored by Justin Florick. You know it it was a terrible pass coming off of Jimmy Howard's stick from a Riley Sheehan pass that was back into his zone, and then he passed it over to Brendan Smith and knocked off of him, and Florick takes the shot, and of course Jimmy's way out of position because he has to get out of his net to pass the puck up to Brendan Smith, who's just getting off the bench, and you know Brendan couldn't control the puck. And the puck ends up back in the in the back of the net. It's a one nothing lead for Boston. And then a mere three minutes later, you know, a little bit more than three minutes later, Boston gets a power play goal by Brennan's brother, Riley Smith, off of a Louis Erickson, Patrice Bergeron, you know, double assists right there. You know, then going into the second period, you know, of course, Mike Babcock is telling them in the locker room, guys, we need to get our heads. We need to get past this. Blah, 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 blah. Luke Lennon gets a goal at thirteen twenty 20 in the second period. It's a 2-1 game. You know, everything is going smooth smoothly. The Red Wings actually, you know, had a lot more power at this section of the game. You know, in the middle of the second period, the Red Wings were really rallying. They were getting a majority of their shots on net. You know, they posted 35, sh- 35 shots on, Jimmy- on Tuka Rask. He was playing incredibly at a .97 save percentage on the day. But guys, Milan Lucic, Jerome and Gimla, Krug, all combined. Jerome Gimla had, and Milan Lucic had a beautiful play 18-16 into the second period. And it gave Boston a 3-1 lead. And that's what the stinger was, is Milan Lucic received a beautiful pass from Jerome and He put it to Jimmy Howard, and Jimmy, he put his... You know, he put his stick down, and i he had the puck, but it flaked off the bottom of it and trickled into the net, and that is a bigger dagger than just missing it completely because he could have had that puck if he would have been in a little bit of a better position. Jerome McGill dragged him out of the net because, of course, Jerome is a massive shooter, massive, massive goal scorer in the league, and he got him. He pulled him over, and Milan Lucic was able to get that puck in right under the stick of Jimmy Howard. And it gave Boston a 3-1 to lead, and they never looked back. And then, you know, a, play, a power play goal, you know, two and a half minutes into the third period, stuck that dagger even further in Detroit and really put them out. It was 4-1 to one at that point. Guys, Jimmy Howard only took 29 shots, and he led in 25. He had a .862 save percentage on the game, and quite frankly, that's unacceptable for your starting goaltender. Before, in game one, he posted a shutout. You know, he was playing incredibly well. And, and guys, Jimmy Howard, he's a pretty solid playoff goaltender, but he really did not step it up in this game. And, and, and another thing that was really bad for the Red Wings in this series, it, it, the entire series, but specifically in this game, is they went 0-4 for 4 on the power play. They went 0-4 for 4 on the power play, making them 0-6 for 6 on the series after game two on the power play. Their special teams did not look good, and they let up two power play goals. All right guys, Riley Smith scored a power play goal in the first and Zidane O'Chara scored a power play goal in the third. That's unacceptable. You need to make sure that your power play is playing exceptionally well and that's just the fact of the matter. The Red Wings lost the faceoff battle in this game, you know, 35 27. They lost the hit battle. They gave the puck, you know, they gave the puck away a lot. There were a lot of takeaways for Boston. Uh Boston was blocking double the amount of shots that the Red Wings were blocking. Guys, it was a rough game for Detroit. Um, Tuukka Rask was playing exceptionally well. And, and I think, you know, a couple things to take away from this game is one, the defense for the Detroit Red Wings was playing atrocious. Jakob Kindle, Brendan Smith, Danny DeKaiser, Brian Lashoff, all of those guys. The only really stable defenseman that the Red Wings had out there was Nicholas Cronwall. And he, you know, per usual stepped it up for the team, of course, but he's only one player. He's one defenseman out on the ice, and, and he can't do it all. Quite frankly, I thought the game was a complete, you know, it was an utter, it was an embarrassment for the Detroit Red Wings. And, guys, you know, Boston really took it to the Red Wings, um, you know, on every single goal that the Red Wings scored, they abs- or that Boston scored against the Red Wings. They absolutely just took it to them. And, of course, with that dagger from Milan Lucic and then later from Zdeno Chara, guys, it was just rough to see. And Jimmy Howard had a torrible, horrible, horrible, a completely pathetic outing, if you ask me. You know, only 29 saves. Now, and, you know, making a mere 25, a save percentage, that just quite frankly is not good enough. And, you know, going into Game 3 in Detroit, you know, guys, you would really like to see a confidence boost from the entire team. You know, it's a 1-to-1 series. The series is all tied up going into Detroit. They could more than likely, you know, take the series back when it comes towards game three going back to the Joe, because they got that clutch, you know, win at T D Garden in game one. But guys in game three, it was the same exact thing. In fact, they shut out the Red Wings. And guys, another power play goal, you know, another special teams error for the Red Wings. Dougie Hamilton got that power play goal nine minutes into the first period and then Jordan Caron he got a goal at 15:48 into the first period it was two to nothing going into the second period at Joe Lewis Arena in fact the Red Wings fans booed them going off of the ice in the first period and then again in the second period you know at Joe Louis Arena during the playoffs, you should never hear boos coming from the fans, but that's what the Red Wings were hearing, and, and it was pathetic. It was rough. It was two to nothing throughout the entire game. Of course, it was an empty net goal from Patrice Bergeron, with you know two minutes left in the third period to make it three to nothing, but you cannot let up. Goals that early in the first period on the power play against a team like the Boston Bruins. And it just doesn't work out. And and quite frankly, I I just don't think that the Red Wings knew exactly what they were getting themselves into in this series. I mean, guys, the Boston Bruins are one of the best teams in the NHL, and that's what it is. They are one of the best teams. You need to play like it. And Jimmy Howard, you know, he took 33 shots, but you know, he played decently at a point nine three nine save percentage, and for Tuka Rask, he barely got any shots on him, it was 23 shots against him, that, that's pathetic, the Red Wings again went 0 for 3 in the power play, and, and Boston got another power play goal, getting out, on the special teams, which is a massive, massive part of this series, Boston, you know, they, they got, <laughs> I, I really don't know what happened to Detroit, but Detroit gave away the puck 8 times, Boston only gave it away 1, you know, the the block shots they beat him in block shots boston did uh, you know it, it was just quite frankly it was pathetic play from the Red Wings on home ice, and, and, and it was unacceptable coming home to Joe Lewis Arena after winning one at TD Garden when you could absolutely take a 2-1 lead against the Bruins, and, and they just didn't take that lead, and, and that was the turning point in the series. That's when a lot of fans, a lot of the players even, even Coach Mike Babcock was like, well, wh- what are we going to do? You know, we're absolutely getting beaten in this series, and we're going to lose on home ice, and then we're going to lose again in game four, basically, is what was being talked about and that's exactly what happened. You know, in game four guys, it, it actually was a little bit more in favor of the Red Wings. They actually took an early lead, you know, at four twenty seven into the second period, they took a two nothing lead after, you know, in a first in the first period Nicholas Cronwell got a power play goal, it was a beautiful slap shot off of a face off win from Pavel Datsuk. It was really quick, really crisp, and that was the first time that the Red Wings special teams actually stepped up to the plate. Pavel Datsuk, you know, like I said, got a second goal of the series in Game 4. He put one in. It was, you know, a pass from Nicholas Lidstrom and Justin Ablocator. Um, but, you know, Nicholas Cronwall, Pat, Nicholas Lidstrom, sorry guys, Nicholas Cronwall behind the net. Beautiful feed to Pavel Datsuk in front of the net for the goal. Um, but it was quickly responded. You know, about six minutes later, um, Boston got a power play goal themselves from Tori Krug. And made it 2-1. to one. And then later in the third period, you know, a minute 15 seconds into the third period, Milan Lucic, Lucic gets a goal. And then, you know, guys, that really is a dagger right there. Um, you know, Boston, they had a decent game, but the Red Wings absolutely should have won this game. You know, they only went 1-4 for four on the power play. Again, a special teams error. In the hit column, they out-hit Boston 54-40. to Face-off wins. Boston won on the face-off. For Detroit, they gave away the puck eight times. And for Detroit, they also took away the puck three times. You know, for block shots, Detroit actually blocked more shots than Boston, which was the first time that they did that all series long. They put 37 shots on Tuka Rask. Jonas Gustafson, who actually played in place of Jimmy Howard in this game because Jimmy Howard went down with the flu, he took 40 shots in this game saved 37 of the 40 shots in this game quite frankly that's incredible and and I really really like to see that out of Jonas Gustafsson because he came in right before game time Mike Babcock got word from the team doctor saying that Jimmy Howard wouldn't be able to make the game and quite frankly I think it was just the fact that Mike Babcock wanted to do a little bit of a change up after the performance that Jimmy Howard had and you know we talked about that on the pact on 88.9 FM and you know monday seven to eight p m and guys, you know we were talking about it, we were debating how long Jimmy Howard would last in this series. I thought he would last a lot longer, maybe he actually did get the flu, but that's what he was having. He was having flu like symptoms, and Jonas Guson you know then went in for jimmy howard and that's what it was, and that's what it was for the rest of the uh for the rest of the series for the Red Wings, but he took forty shots in that game and he played incredibly well. He was making monstrous saves for the monster. You know, Zetterberg returned in this game, Bertuzzi played in his first playoff game for one purpose and one person purpose only. That was to get to the front of the net and be brutal in front of that net. And that's exactly what happened on the first Red Wings goal in this game. And guys, the Red Wings controlled the puck heavily in Boston's zone in the first period. They had a lot of pressure. Zetterberg and Pavel dots were creating plays. First play of the game, Hank fed the puck to Pav, breaking up the middle of the ice into the Boston zone. And it was a potential goal. There was a scoring chance right there. The next play, the same thing happened with Helmer from Fronson. Both lines, they both look good. The power play opportunity early in the first period, that went well. Cromwell scored off a four-minute high-sticking call. Drew Miller got smacked in the face, bled a little bit. You know, Boston Bruin went into the box for four minutes, and they got that quick goal, but they should have gotten another goal after that. You know, guys, everyone is really getting involved in this game, and, you know, Rask had to make a lot of big saves. It was the first time in the entire series that Rask actually had to put a massive effort towards stopping pucks. Up until this game, in game four of the series, the Red Wings were 0 for 9. They were the only team in the NHL playoffs that didn't have a power play goal. And it was only seven shots on those nine power play opportunities. And that was before this Cromwell goal. That was the first time they scored. At the end of the first period, the shots were 14 to 5, and the Red Wings were completely dominating the game. You know, in the second period, Brad Marshawn was getting really frustrated. He was attacking Henrik Zetterberg. The frustration was really setting in. That's who put another goal. But then Boston came back with Torrey Krug, and that got that, you know, back to high intensity for Boston. Boston tied it a minute and a half into the third period with a good goal. It was a solid goal that they scored in the third period. And, guys, Milan Lucic, he's a good player, and he put it away. He put it away like he should. Players like Johan and you know, players, uh, players all down the stretch. Thomas Tatar, Gustav Nyquist, who were stepping up. Thomas Yurko was a healthy stra- scratch in this game. Guys, it wasn't going well for the Red Wings at that point in the third period. And when you look into overtime, you're like, well, what's going to happen here? And what happened there was a pure hockey goal. And, uh, after that game, you know, I looked over to my buddy and I said... Oh, you know, man, I think the series is over. And at that point, it was because Jerome McGinnis scored a goal. It was a very hockey style goal. Bounced off of seven different things and ended up going into the net off of the knee of Danny DeKaiser. You know, it went from Jerome McGinnis, or, you know, it went from one stick to hit off of Glendening, to hit off of McGinnis, to hit off of DeKaiser, to hit off of Gusevsen, to go back into the net. And Boston won in game four in Detroit in overtime. And that's just a dagger for Detroit and really put him out, especially after posting 37 shots against Tuca. But, you know, even Gusevson playing incredible. He took 40 shots, like I said earlier, 0.925 save percentage. That That's really, really solid for a goaltender that was put in immediately coming into this game, you know, right out of warm-ups. You know, going into Game 5, Boston started, and they never looked back and that's what this team did the entire series As they started and they never looked back. Even after being down 1-0 in the series off of a Pavel Dotsuk goal, even after that, the Boston Bruins kept on trucking through, and not only were they getting help from their defense, but they were getting help from their forwards, they were getting help from their goalie, their coach knew exactly what to do, and I'm not saying that our coach and Mike, you know, Mike Babcock, the Red Wings coach, didn't know what to do, but I'm saying that nobody really had what it took to take it to the Boston Bruins. You know, in that game five, a power play goal, the three, you know, first three goals of the game were all power play goals. Louis Erickson had a power play goal in the first period, three minutes and 30 seconds into the game. And then in the second period, Pavel Datsuk tied it up with a power play goal of his own. But then with four seconds left, after a very controversial faceoff that Mike Babcock got absolutely enraged about, Zidane Ochar took a beautiful shot from the point and scored with four seconds left, 19.56 into the second period. That gave Boston a 2-1 to lead. And then eventually, you know, going into the third period, four and a half minutes in, Milan Lucic, again, clutch player, scored for Boston. And then Henrik Zetterberg, you know, uh, you know, 10, 12 minutes later, gets the first goal that the Red Wings scored, sends, you know, a goal from Pavel Datsuk midway through the second period. And quite frankly, that's just not enough. Henrik Zetterberg and Pavel Datsyuk cannot be your only players that are getting points in this game. The only players that had points for the Red Wings were Pavel Datsyuk, Henrik Zetterberg, Justin Ablikator, and Johan Franzen. Johan Franzen did not score in this series, and that's what he gets paid for. That's what he got a contract extension for because he's a playoff monster, a playoff goal scorer, and he. Put in zero goals in this series, and that's pathetic. To me, that's pathetic. And honestly, guys, Jerome McGimla, he got the empty net goal with, you know. Honestly, 16 seconds left in the game, and you you know you don't think you're gonna win the game anyways. But still, the Red Wings didn't give themselves an opportunity, and that was the hardest part for me. They go one for seven on the power play. That's not good. Boston went two for six. They were a little bit better on their penalty kill, the Red Wings, but still they let in two power play goals, only got one for themselves, and had six other opportunities to score and they didn't. Boston out hit them 32 to 21. Boston. Outbeat them in the faceoff dot, 34-29. to Boston gave away the puck more, but they also took away the puck more. They had more blocked shots than the Red Wings. The Penalty minutes, it doesn't really matter. Regardless, Jonas Gustafson, he took 32 shots. Tukoraz took 33 shots. And I'm not going to point the finger at a goaltender. I'm going to point the finger at the entire Red Wings team. It was poor play by the Red Wings. They're not getting good chances. The Bruins were getting a lot more shots and a lot more scoring chances. The Wings put a bit more pressure on them in the second period. But Alfredson, Daniel Alfredson, a veteran in 18th season in the league, he wasn't looking good. You could tell that he was injured out there. And, you know, somebody like Thomas Yurko, who has more speed and could have, you know, put the puck at least somewhere a little bit better than Alfredson was in this game, he could have played in place of him if he was still feeling that injury. You know, he was weak on the puck. He was losing the puck. It was poor decision making. He couldn't bury a pass from Johan Franz and that was right on the tape of his stick. Pathetic in the second period. You know, for a player of his caliber, he cannot be doing that stuff. In that time of the game, the Red Wings needed to get more chances coming down the stretch. Pavel Datsuk, you know, and Henrik Zetterberg were the only players that were doing anything. It was poor decisions by the Red Wings throughout the entire game, and that's what led to the loss, honestly. That's what led to the loss, and ultimately losing that game five. You know, it led to a series loss. They lost four to one in a series to the Boston Bruins. Everybody thought, oh, this is going to be a great series. You know, the Red Wings are going to be able to take it to seven. Some people thought Bruins, some people thought Red Wings. You know, you know, maybe the Red Wings will be the team to be able to dethrone the President Trophy winners of 117 points in the regular season. They weren't. They didn't even come close. They could not step up to the plate and play well, even when their captain came back to the team. Even when Pavel Datsuk was really putting it on and getting on fire in in the playoffs even when Jonas Gustafson came in and wake up Jimmy Howard and played incredibly well on home ice and in Boston. You know, I'm going to give it to Jonas Gustafson because he played incredibly well. He really brought it out. He brought out his good stuff. He brought out his glove hand. He brought out his transition play. He was great on the ice. He was great in clutch situations. You cannot blame a single goal on Jonas Gustafson. And, you know, I think that he would have played incredibly well in games one through three. I really think he would have done the Red Wings a lot more justice in games one through three. But after a shutout from Jimmy Howard in game one, you know, how could anybody say that? You know, who, who would think that he would get sick? And then Jonas Gustavsson would come, take 40 shots, and stop 37 of them. And quite frankly, he played incredibly well. In his post-game interview, you could tell that he was crying. He had cried from a loss in Game 4 because he knew that he played so well and he still lost to the Boston Bruins. But, you know, guys, I don't want to take anything away from the Bruins. The Boston Bruins, they played incredibly well in this series. And and when I say incredibly well, I mean incredibly well. Milan Lucic, Jerome Agimla, Tuka Ras, Zdeno Chara, Riley Smith stepped up. You know, guys, all those players... All of them stepped up heavily for the Boston Bruins. And honestly, it was a good game for the Bruins. You know, every single game they came out to play. Thornton was getting real aggressive. Soderberg had good play. Bergeron was playing well. You know, David Crutchie was playing really well. Torrey Krug was great moving the puck. He had great speed to him. And of course, like I said before in Tuka Rask, Incredible goaltender. He's always been, you know, one of my favorite goaltenders of the season. I've been caught on air saying it on the pack, saying it on Octopi. I think Tukarask is one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. He really is one of the best goaltenders in the NHL, and you have to give it to a guy like Zidane Chara, who's you know one of the best defensemen in the NHL. You know, guys, he, he he's up for a Norris Trophy this year, and rightfully so, alongside people like Duncan Keith of Chicago. You know, those are big names, and Zdeno Char really proved in the series. Jerome McGinley, he's a veteran of the game. Milan Lucic, veteran of the game. He plays well. He puts the puck in. He can really do it. He really brings it every single game. Both of those players, all four of those guys, every person that I listed from the Boston Bruins contribute to their team on a a day-to-day basis. You know, even Riley Smith, he he took that competitive nature against his brother and he put it towards the Red Wings and he played incredibly well. You know, guys, they honestly the boston bruins played incredibly well you know mike babcock was so confused at the end of the, at the end of the series at the end of each game his youth wasn't playing well they weren't outskating the boston bruins you know they, the red wings had a lot more speed than the bruins going into this series the red wings had a lot more firepower than the than the bruins going into this series but the bruins out executed the red wings on all levels, and especially on the special teams. You can absolutely bet your bottom dollar that you could never play the way that the Red Wings did in I mean, in every single game of the series. In every single game of the series, you could not play like the Red Wings did and end up expecting to win in the later parts of the series. And, and for me, I thought the Red Wings would be able to step up at Joe Louis Arena. They couldn't even do it there. You know, eventually in game five, they axed Jakob Kendall, which was a great job you know they they should have asked Jakob Kindle because Jakob Kindle was playing incredibly poor. It was pathetic. Jakob Kindle played the worst series I have seen and quite frankly he's on the trading block. He he needs to get out of Detroit alongside Brian Lashoff. Both of those players need to get out of here. And you know, I'm telling you Xavier Olet, Adam Almquist players of the Grand Rapids Griffins that can come up and play defense for the Red Wings, that's what they need going into this offseason is they need to rebuild that blue line. The Red Wings Used to be very good at you know taking that blue line and really owning it, and that's how they own games is from the blue line. People like Brian Rafalski, people like Nicholas Cronwall, Brad Stewart, Chris Chelios, you know all these players that have played for the Red Wings on that blue line, and, and now it's just absolutely pathetic play from the Red Wings blue, blue line. You know even players like Brendan Smith, if he has poor games throughout the series, that's going to be effectively shown throughout the entire series. But you know, it's over. It, the Red Wing season is over. the the uh, The playoffs for the Red Wings are over, and Boston is now moving on to play Montreal. And we'll actually, guys, later on in the show, we'll talk about both of those things. We'll talk about the Red Wings and what they're going to do in the postseason, and we're going to talk about the Bruins and how they're about to face the Montreal Canadiens and how that entire series is going to plan out. So, guys, in a little bit, we'll get to that. But right now. I want to talk about the rest of the NHL, and I want to see what's going on in these other series really quickly, just give you a little bit of an update across the entire board. So, guys, looking at the big picture here, um, you know, bringing it to the entire NHL, I just want to look at all this series right now. I don't want to go too in-depth into it. I just want to give everybody a little bit of an update here. you know. So yeah, we're going into Game 6 in this Colorado-Minnesota series, and right now I'm obviously going to take Colorado. They're a number one seed. They played incredibly well the entire season, and uh, guys, I mean, Minnesota, they're good, but they're not that good, and, and game five, or game six, you know, tonight, 9 p.m., I, I think that Colorado's going to pull it out, get that fourth win, and really take it to Minnesota, but, I, you know, I'll give it to Minnesota for actually stepping up and, you know, winning two games against Colorado. They did play well this season and I thought that they did a good job you know as for the Chicago St. Louis series who you know that's who Colorado or Minnesota will play at the end of that series uh you know Chicago took it away you know in game six they beat St. Louis 5-1 they had a beautiful stretch you know going down in the third period where they it was 1-1 in the third period early in the third period and then Chicago just you know ran away with it they ran away with the game they ran away with the series and they knocked out the St. Louis Blues who were struggling from injuries And guys, this is a real hectic series, you know, with Brent Seabrook laying that hit on David Backus, David Backus getting concussion, not a concussion, but, you know, getting the complete crap knocked out of him up against the boards, and Brent Seabrook taking a three game suspension, David Backus was out for two of the games, and it was a pretty even series for a little bit there, but then Chicago ran away with it, they got really clutch down the stretch you know really in condensed areas of the game Chicago can put away a few goals with the power of Patrick Kane with the you know a strong blue line and Duncan Keith you know a, you know of course the forwards in Jonathan Tays Marion Hosa, all those players they play incredibly well and they have done incredibly well this season I think it's going to be a Chicago Colorado you know a number 1 number 3 uh seeded series and I, I I would take Chicago in that series, I think Chicago's really feeling it coming out of that St. Louis series that they could have potentially lost. This series, But I think they did a good job in beating St. Louis, keeping their momentum, and eventually will move on to beat Colorado and stick it to that Avalanche team. Um, as for the Anaheim-Dallas series, that series has ended. Uh, overtime, actually, Game 6, Anaheim won 5-4, to four, and it's a 4-2 series win for Anaheim. And then Game 6 tonight of the San Jose Shark-Los Angeles King series, The San San Jose Sharks really took it to Los Angeles in the first couple games of the series. And guys, let me tell you, it was embarrassing for the Kings. And, And especially for, you know, somebody like Jonathan Quick, who's supposed to be one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. You know, guys, he let up six goals in game one. He let up seven goals in game two. He let up four goals in game three. And then Los Angeles decided to come back and give a little bit of help to Jonathan Quick. And, you know, I'm not gonna give anything to him because he still let up three goals, one in each period of game four. But LA did win six to three and Marion Gabrick, you know, actually finally stepped up within that you know, within that game. And then finally, Jonathan Quick, he shut the door, he said, Enough's enough. He posted a shutout against San Jose in game five. You know, Los Angeles won that game three to nothing. And I like to see that for the Los Angeles Kings. You know, going into game six tonight, which, you know, guys, it's going to be in Los Angeles. It's going to be a hype game and and potentially could tie the series. And then going back to San Jose, it could be, this is a very interesting series that's starting to pan out. For a while there, I thought that San Jose was just going to have a clean sweep. But, you know... Los Angeles has a fight in them. They have power in them. They have a lot of strong forwards. They have good defense. They're a strong physical team. This is a very brutal matchup when it comes down to it. Um, you know, I, I like people like Patrick Marleau for the San Jose Sharks too, though. You know, he's leading the series. He has three goals, four assists, seven points, and that's incredible. You know, he, he really is playing well, and I like seeing that, you know, from from San Jose. You know, for me... This series is kind of a toss-up. I personally think that San Jose will probably end up edging it out just because of the circumstances, Game 7 being at the Shark Tank. You know, Los Angeles started the series really weak. Jonathan Quick kind of lost his mindset there for a little bit. But, you know, that's the Western Conference. It's a crazy, strong, very high-level intensity you know, conference over there, and, and and that's what it is. It's going to be Colorado and Chicago in that you know top series there, and then we got Anaheim and you know San Jose. And I think personally that it's going to be Anaheim and the Chicago Blackhawks in the Western Conference Finals. But that's a little bit down the road, and we'll talk a little bit more about that on a future edition of Octavia Hockey Town. But, guys, let's move over to this Eastern Conference. Of course, as we all know, we've already talked about the Boston Bruins beat the Detroit Red Wings 4-1 in the series in five games. And then Montreal, they had a clean sweep on the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were actually seated higher than they were. But Tampa Bay as well lost their goaltender at the end of the season, Ben Bishop. He didn't come back for any game in the series. And Montreal heavily benefited from that. They clean swept them 4-0. And then it's going to be, you know, Boston and Montreal, a. Crazy, crazy matchup, which is going to result in a lot of physical brutality, a lot of goal scoring, but also two very strong goaltenders. So it could be a low-scoring matchup in Boston Bruins and Stuka Rask and Carey Price for the Montreal Canadiens. Personally, I love Carey Price. I actually think he is the best goaltender in the NHL, and Montreal is extremely lucky to have him in that because they don't have exactly that many you know, scoring threats on their team. Um, it, it's not, you know, it, it's not like they are, you know, a terrible, a terrible team. They have Gallagher. They have Leckanic. You know, they have Thomas Vanek, Gianta, uh, You know, all those players. They're good players, and, and I'm not taking anything away from them. But what I'm saying here is that I think that, you know, just for me. I think that Montreal is going to be outplayed by Boston, and I think that Boston is going to go ahead and win this series. That's just me. I think they're going to go ahead and win this series in six games. It might take it a seven, but I think it's going to be six. And yeah, I mean, uh, going down, I I think that we got a really good series coming here. I didn't think that uh, Columbus was going to be able to get two games over Pittsburgh, but I think Pittsburgh is going to close that out tonight. Um, I like to see that. I think that Pittsburgh is going to close it out, and I think they're doing a great job. And, uh, you know, Pittsburgh's Marc-Andre Mark Fleury, he's having a little bit of a rough postseason, like I was saying before. Typical Marc-Andre Fleury of the past couple years, which is not good at all. And, you know, guys... I don't think that Pittsburgh is going to be able to get past the next round, but I think they'll be able to get past the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, As for the game underneath that on Tuesday is Game Six, and you know New York is leading this series right now, three to two. You know the series is going back to Philadelphia in Game Six, which is definitely obviously a benefit for you know for Philadelphia, and you know it's it's really big right now you know for New York to be able to beat Philadelphia and silence them big for Henrik Lundqvist big for the team because they had a rough season last season I would love to see the New York Rangers getting to the Eastern Conference Finals and eventually playing the Boston Bruins for that Eastern Conference Final you know Eastern Conference Championship And, and, you know, in the end, if we all want to look into the future, all look into a prediction, you know, maybe we'll have, you know, an Anaheim Duck Boston Bruin final. Maybe we'll have a, you know, Chicago Blackhawk, you know, New York Ranger final. I think Boston's going to come out of the East. It's kind of a toss up in the West with the amount of good teams and what's happening in all the series. But, you know, that's just a breakdown. That's just me trying to preach. Look at, you know, what's going on here within that series and within each series, which in within each conference you know guys it's definitely a strong conference that they have going over there uh, in the western conference but I think that there's going to be an eastern conference champion this year and I think that eastern conference champion is going to be the Boston Bruins and I think they're eventually going to go to the Stanley Cup finals and th- they're going to do extremely well in the Stanley Cup finals but guys that's just me that's just my opinion and that's what I think is going to happen um, but I actually want to take it back now and I want to talk a little bit more about the Montreal-Boston series, what they have in store for them. I want to talk about the Red Wings and what they have in store for them going into the postseason, and then guys, we'll talk about that for the rest of Octopi, and that will be the last episode for the next couple weeks. You know, guys, we'll come back to you guys in a couple weeks. We'll talk a little bit about you know what's happening in the offseason. i will talk a little bit more about the NHL draft, you know, about what could happen there for the Red Wings, what could happen in. Free agency in the trading block what's gonna happen with Daniel Alfredson but we'll take a little bit of a preview of all of that including the Boston series right now so guys the Bruins are going to move on to face the Canadians who have a lot of time to rest after defeating the Tampa Bay Lightning about a week ago it was in four games but the Bruins of course you know they beat the Red Wings in five so they'll be on an even playing field for the most part you know when it comes to the second round matchup but for the Bruins their game has continued to work for them all season, relying on special teams, defense, and goaltending to get, through, get them through tough games. Uh, the team has a veteran group of forwards. You know, up front, they're a little bit weaker than they are on the D-line. And, you know, who who have seen the postseason many times, though? And they know what it takes to hoist Lord Stanley. This team is strong. But on the other end of Montreal, there's Gallagher, there's Gianta, there's P.K. Sub- Subban. All lead the team with leadership and productivity in net. In my opinion, the only goaltender that I can outplay Tuka Rask, you know, is Carey Price. He's quick. He's smart. He's a fun goalie to watch out there, and he'll honestly he'll stun you with a lot of incredible saves. Although the Canadians are good and have depth in net, the defensive core and forward set that have honestly stepped it up in the first series, Lucic, Agimli. All those guys, I think the Bruins are going to be able to beat them with a bit more depth at each of those positions. You know, throughout the first round, the Bruins were seeking strong play from Lucic, Riley, Smith, the brother of Brendan, Chara, Rask, line and the Gates ready to be let out. You know, Brad Marchand, he had a lot of missed opportunities, and I think that guy he's really going to step it up in the second series. Even even though I'm not a big fan of him, I think he's going to step it up. I've had Boston beating Montreal in six games for this series. It's going to be a strong battle of big men, smart hockey, and a lot of physical battle until the end of it all. As for your hometown boys, the Detroit Red Wings, they're going into the offseason right now with a little bit of a different mindset. They're rebuilding themselves to health. They're restructuring themselves on the blue line. Red Wings head coach Mike Babcock, he said it in his postgame in a re- interview after Game 5, this is going to be a big summer. we got to get healthy and we got to get in shape. The Red Wings lagged veteran help all season. In the playoffs, the only vets to come to play were the Pavel Datsyuk Line and a late return from Henrik Zetterberg, which helped out Pavel. It was a solid defensive show from Nicholas Cronwell. Small, very small spurts of greatness from Darren Helm and Thomas Tatar, And of course, that fourth line kept grinding, they were strong per usual, they kept the Red Wings motivated, and Luke Lenning, Drew Miller, David Leguan, all those guys, they really did step up. Even though they didn't score, they kept the game moving, and they were really moving the puck nicely. They were getting a lot more opportunities. Mainly, I think the Red Wings need to develop their blue line, though they need to get rid of Kyle Quincy made mainly you know throw him away to a trade throw away Brian Lashoff and Jakob Kindle Jakob Kindle 100% needs to go the developing Adam Almquist of the Grand Rapids Griffins and Xavier Olet who made his playoff debut in game 5 and you know guys the Red Wings really need to try to retain Daniel Alfredson because if they don't, they're gonna to need to pick somebody up in free agency. Maybe somebody like Marion Gabrick, you know, maybe somebody on the blue line like Alex Edler. Um, you know, maybe even a Dustin Bufflin kind of guy. Um, even looking to the draft you know, you could get a couple guys there. But, you know, right now the Red Wings, they are definitely in a unique position. The Red Wings are in a unique position because it's time to rebuild a little bit. You know, the top performers, you know, Gustav Nyquist, he led the team with 28 goals. Thomas Tatar, Shea and Yurko, all those guys, they need to do well because they really were taught something this season. And they were taught something in the postseason, especially Thomas Yurko. Even though you came in and filled for the Red Wings the entire season, you know, halfway through and really pushing them, you know, was the brunt of the reason why the Red Wings made the playoffs, you will get Knicks if you're not playing to your fullest potential. And all those guys, Nyquist, Tatar, Sheehan, Yurko, all those guys, they are the future of the Red Wings, but they need to start stepping up when it actually matters. You know, Obviously, you know, Jimmy Howard was a very large disappointment for the Red Wings this season, and quite frankly, I mean, you know, what What do you want to say? Jimmy Howard couldn't pull it together throughout the season. He had a couple spurts of old Jimmy, but really he did not play well, and Jonas Gustafsson kind of bossed up on him when you think about it. Um, you know, as for Daniel Alfredson, guys, you know, it, it, there's a question. Will he retire or will he not retire? You know, his he he's played 1,246 games. Um, dating back all the way to 1995, if if he calls it his career and and he says that it's over, you know, I think Alfredson has a lot of play left in him, and I think he thinks he has a lot of play left in him too. You know, it could really help get players motivated like Gustav Nyquist, who could really be a dominating force within the league, and I think he will be a dominating force within the league. I think that the Red Wings really, really need to make sure that they could you know, make sure that they have a good, good season next season by retaining down Daniel Alfredson. I think that Daniel Alfredson needs to stay as the Detroit Red Wing. As for David Legwand, who's also a free agent, Legwand, he had a decent year, but with Detroit, he really did not play all that well. You know, he would get paid in, D, in in free agency. Other teams, he's an option for them. He's definitely upgrading at that center position for a lot of teams that need a center. And the Red Wings, they have depth at the center position. You know, as for free, other free agents for the Red Wings, Todd Bertuzzi, Danny Cleary, you know, Michael Samuelson, Kyle Quincy, Jonas Gustafsson. I think for me, you re sign somebody like Jonas Gustafsson, you really put him in there. Because you can't always rely on Jimmy Howard for being 100%. Unless, you know, they see something in Peter Morassic and they want to let Jonas Gustafsson go. Or you can always sign him to a one-year deal and trade him. You know, there there are a lot of dipsy-doos that you can make. But for me, I would let people like Todd Bertuzzi Danny Cleary, Michael Samuelson, Kyle Quincy, all those guys, let them go. Even somebody like David Leguan, you know, you could let him go if he's not going to be able to contribute as well as he was contributing in Nashville to Detroit because he wasn't. He proved that um but but that's just me i mean for for your target areas you know you need a defenseman you need somebody to really step it up you know matt niskanen of the pittsburgh penguins he's a big option alexander edler he's a big option you know thomas gilbert from florida panthers He's a big option. You know, we all have to keep in mind that the Red Wings have somebody like Jonathan Erickson coming back off of an injury. They have somebody like Stephen Weiss at the center position that really wants to prove himself in Detroit because he didn't do anything this season. You know, the first half of the season he was terrible, and then he left for an injury sports hernia and never came back. He has something to prove, and I think he's going to prove it. That's why you let somebody like David Legwon go. That's why you, know, you would keep somebody like Daniel Alfredson to be able to work with somebody like Steven Weiss. And then you bring in a Matt Niskanen or an Alexander Edler on your blue line after piecing out Kyle Quincy along with Jakob Kindle. And then you have you know, Adam Elmquist and Xavier Olette who are stepping up. You know, in the, uh, they're stepping up. They're stepping up in general. And, and uh, as for you know the draft, the Red Wings are really good at pulling in good players on the draft. Uh, I it's hard to predict what the Red Wings are going to take in the draft. You know, Zetterberg was a late late rounder. You know, Datsug was a late late rounder, and, and both of those players are the two best players on the Red Wings, arguably two of the best players in the National Hockey League today you know as for as for the draft options you know you need to look for a defenseman you need to look some look for somebody that you could you know really pick up you can look for a small winger that could add a really good amount of goals that the red wings were lacking in this playoff series you know, uh, there's a lot of things going on. When 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 you talk about trades, you can combine players like Yoko Command sitting Jakob Kindle, and, and get both of them in a deal for a forward and a defenseman, and maybe even throw a prospect and a draft pick in there. Because quite frankly, the Red Wings have depth and they have great development. The Red Wings need players that have been in the league three or four years prove themselves as good defenders or good offenders and make sure that we can get them in there and apply our system to those players. Um, you know, honestly, players that you would trade for in that situation, if you're going to go trade-wise, would be Alexander Edler, or you can go to the Winnipeg Jets and get Dustin Bufflin. You know, Dustin Bufflin, he's a right-handing shooter. He, He was great for the Chicago Blackhawks. Decent for the Winnipeg Jets, but Winnipeg sucks. Let's be honest for a second. Dustin Bufflin would be a great Detroit Red Wing, and I really think that would be awesome for the Red Wings to pick up somebody like Dustin Bufflin. You know, I think you are going to see a lot of Adam Almquist and Xavier Ollet next year. You know, even players on the forward, and like Timu in and you know, in a, in net, Peter Morasek. You are going to see all those players start to step up. For me, I think it's Adam Almquist's time. He was a second team All AHL All Star, and, and he. I think that the Red Wings are really going to put him out there, and he's going to really do a great job, even next to players like Ryan Sproil and Xavier Ollet. I think all those players are going to do well for the Red Wings. I think Adam Almquez, Xavier Olette, Ryan Spoiler, all of them have a future. And you need depth at that defensive position because, you know, as you can see, there are injuries and when your defense lacks, you have players like Brian Lashoff, Jakob Kindle that you're calling your starters, Kyle Quincy, who's not that good. Guys, we need to be honest for a second, the Red Wings really do need some help on that blue line, and that's exactly what they're going to get. You know, as of right now, as of right now for next year, the Red Wings need to find a veteran scoring right winger. They need to find somebody to put on defense alongside Brendan Smith. And they need to find a veteran right handed defenseman. They really, really need to find a, a veteran right there. And and right now, the the Red Wings defense, they only have five good players that could four good players and one okay one. Nicholas Cronwell, Danny DeKaiser, Jonathan Erickson, Brendan Smith, that's your core. And then there's players like Anka you know, Lashoff is in there right now, but you need a right-hander. You need somebody that could step up. You need somebody like a, you know, a Brian Rafalski. Somebody like Dustin Bufflin would be a great replacement for somebody like Brian Rafalski of the OA team. And goal, Jimmy Howard, he's a stable goaltender. I think Jimmy was just suffering from injuries the entire season. He had a rough season. It was not very unlike Jimmy Howard to play as poorly as he did the entire season. You know, guys, next year, if Daniel Alfredson decides to stay, this is what your your top line will look like. You have Henrik Zetterberg, Pavel Datsuk, and Daniel Alfredson, who can all stay healthy, hopefully. You have a Johan Franzen, Riley Sheehan, Gustav Nyquist. You have a Tatar, Darren Helm, Advocator. Then you have Drew Miller, Stephen Weiss, and Thomas Yurko. And you could interchangeably put in people like Mitch Callahan or Luke Glendening up on those lines, but that is solid those are solid forward lines right there. I like that. I think that's a strong fourth line right there. And, and you know, even if you do keep somebody like David Leguan, where are you going to put him? You know, that that's where it is right there. Is David Leguan is probably going to go away. He came in to help keep the streak alive. But right now the Red Wings are looking for a veteran scoring right winger. They need somebody that has a right-handed shot coming off the blue line. I think we need somebody else on the third line of defense to match up with Brennan Smith. And then you have a team that's solid right there. If you re-sign Jonas Gustafsson, you have two solid goaltenders, one of which who really made a statement. But a lot of teams are going to want to go after Jonas Gustafsson, especially the fact that he's a free agent. But you know, I think he likes to play in Detroit. But you know, guys, somebody that really developed towards the end of the season but still has a lot of learning to do is Gustav Nyquist. I really think that Gus Nyquist has a lot, a lot, a lot of learning to do, and he will do That learning in this off season, along with Tatar, along with Yurko, along with all those players, you know the Red Wings are a deep team. They really are, and they do a great job. They do a great job of developing. They have a great farm system in the Grand Rapids Griffins. They have a great GM and a great coach, the most winningest coach in NHL, or not in NHL, in Red Wings hockey history, which is incredible, above Jack Adams and Scotty Bowman. Scotty Bowman is my favorite coach of all time. And, of course, Mike Babcock, he's one of my faves too. But you got to love old Scotty. But guys, there are a lot of options for this Red Wings team, and I think in the 2014-2015 year, it's going to be a good year. But guys, it is time for summer, and I'm studying for finals over here at the beautiful campus of Michigan State University. And guys, the Red Wings, they're heading home to their respective suburb palaces or back home to their homelands. Two Red Wings are becoming fathers and Nicholas Cronwell and Pavel Datsu. Congratulations to them and the coaching staff, including Mike Babcock is going to take a day and a half off about rest, hang out with their families and then continue on the stretch to make the playoffs for the 24th consecutive season and hopefully make a better run of the playoffs than they did this year for that 2014, 2015 Stanley cup playoffs guys for me. The guys at Impact Sports, everyone who loves the Detroit Red Wings, I am Austin Goodman, and I'm the host of October Hockey Town, as always. And I am signing off for the 2013-2014 season. Guys, it was a pleasure, and we will be back in a couple weeks with updates on the team, moves being made in the offseason, and potentially some NHL playoff updates. Thank you so much, guys, for a wonderful season.